morning, everyone. Not very long ago, we had an election in this country. There was a lot of division and questions and uncertainty surrounding the election, and I think sounds like there still is. But one thing that we can all be certain of after experiencing that time in our nation's history now is that, number one, we are all very divided as, as Americans. Almost a, a perfect 50-50 split right down the middle. But really, what, what I see from the election is that we all feel very strongly about leadership in this country. As we look around and as we see the various difficulties that are facing us right now with the pandemic, with our economy, with all of the division, all of the, the issues with social justice and everything else that's going on, some people believe that this person would be good to lead us during that difficult time, and other people believe that this other person would be good to lead us during that difficult time. And we take leadership in this country very seriously. We, we hold that highest role of, of office to be a very important position that we think about, we study about, we research the candidates leading up to that election, and then we vote. And more people came out to vote this year than basically ever in our nation's history. We take leadership very, very seriously in this country, but I want to shift our focus this morning and I want to talk about leadership in a much more important organization than the United States of America. And that's the organization and the leadership of the church. As important as you think America is, the church is more important. It absolutely is. And leadership within the church, leadership of the Lord's people is more important to God. And I know that because of how much we see leadership talked about within the scriptures, within the New Testament, referring to elders, within the Old Testament, referring to the leadership of the kings and the judges and all of those people who would lead God's people. Leadership is very important to God, especially during difficult times, especially during times of uncertainty, especially as, as many churches throughout the world have faced some really difficult choices, including this one. Churches are having to, to figure out how to deal with worshiping in the pandemic. They're having to figure out how to deal with their members who are struggling and suffering economically, materially. They're having to figure out how to how to rise up during a time when it would be so easy to fall down. And you may know of congregations around who have fallen by the wayside during this time. You may know of places that have dwindled into nothing and have just dispersed. And unfortunately, that's the case right now within our world. But what does the church need in order to stay strong in difficult times? What does this church need? What does Monta Vista need to stay strong during difficult times and to bear up through these trials 
So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Earlier in October, we studied together. I brought two lessons from 1 Peter. Brother Alan Greeley brought one lesson from 1 Peter. And 1 Peter, as we talked about a, a, a few months ago, basically was a, was a letter all about what to do in times of suffering. How do, we, how do we handle times of suffering? And we talked about how we need to have hope and we need to have holiness. We talked about how we need to submit ourselves to the governing authorities. We need to submit ourselves to our masters. We need, as wives, to submit yourselves to your husbands. We talked about arming ourselves with the same purpose that Jesus had, knowing that we are going to suffer in this world and being ready for that. And then Alan talked about from 1 Peter chapter 4, about the high standards that the church has, about the fact that the church is going to suffer, we as Christians are going to suffer, because there are high standards for us. We will be judged. We have so many blessings and benefits as being part of the Lord's church. And so I felt like now that I have another opportunity to preach, let's finish this thing out. It was hard not to, not to preach about 1 Peter 5, because you almost feel like you've missed, you've missed something. And, and, and until we get to 1 Peter 5, we, we really have missed something. We've missed the full picture of what Peter was trying to, to teach us about how to deal with suffering and what do we need. And what we need is leadership, good listening, and lowliness. And that is what 1 Peter chapter 5 is all about. A call for good leadership within the church. A call for, on the other side of that, the members within the church to be good listeners and to submit themselves to the leaders in their congregations. And for us all to be humble and to be lowly. And if you really want to know how a church stays strong during times of adversity and difficulty, this is the answer. This is what we need. And so let's talk about it this morning. Let's talk about, from 1 Peter chapter 5, the need for leadership, listening, and lowliness. So let's begin here with leadership. And we'll start in verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We'll stop right there. So Peter begins here this chapter, really the, the final chapter in his letter about what to do during times of suffering. And he kind of takes a, a little sidebar, if, if you notice that. He takes a little sidebar with the elders. He kind of pulls them aside. He's speaking, as you'll remember, to the elect exiles of the dispersion. He's talking to congregations all across the known world. And he's pulling the elders of these groups aside. And he says, you know, I have something to tell you. And we don't know a lot about Peter's position as an elder. He calls himself a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. We don't know particularly what congregation Peter might have been an elder of. 
But do you remember as Peter denied Jesus three times after his resurrection, the Lord gave Peter a second chance. Do you love me? Of course I love you, Jesus. And Jesus told him, feed my sheep. Three times they had this conversation, and eventually, exasperated, Peter got the message. He understood. He was to be a shepherd of the Lord's people. And so what better person could talk to us about being a shepherd than the one who received the charge to be a shepherd from Jesus himself? So he pulls the elders aside, and he begins to talk to them and, and share with them their job. And we're, we're short on elders here today. We have six, that, in case you didn't know. A lot of them are gone and missing, but for those who are here today, this is an encouragement from Peter, directly from, from the Lord. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. That's what we need as a congregation. In order to stay healthy, the Lord designed the church to have elders. Now, there are many congregations in the world who don't have elders, either because they don't want them or because there's no one in their midst who's qualified to serve in that role. And in our group, we're lucky, and I say lucky, we're not lucky, we're blessed by the Lord to have six elders. There was a time not very long ago where we were a car accident away from not having any elders. And now we're blessed to have six men who serve in our midst and watch over us in this capacity as overseers and shepherds. And I will guarantee you that none of the six men who serve here in this congregation as elders have had to deal with anything like they've had to deal with in the last year. This year is what really puts us to the test as a group. And we need men. We need our elders during this time. And, and for those of us who have been paying attention, you certainly have been blessed by their watchfulness and by their concern and by their care over you. Because if it were left up to all of us collectively, oh, oh, we, would, we would make terrible choices. The sheep are in danger when they're left by themselves unattended. The sheep are, are at the mercy of the elements. They're at the mercy of their own whims, and they are exposed to the enemy. And as we're going to see here in chapter 5, the enemy is out there. He's prowling around like a roaring lion, and we need men to watch out for us and to, and to take that responsibility seriously. So he does something here that I love. In, in teaching, he describes something by what it's not. And I think that's a helpful way sometimes for us to understand what this role or what any role is in the church. Sometimes it's helpful to understand what it isn't. So that's what he does. Three times here he says, not under compulsion. An elder should not serve because they feel like they have to, because they feel compelled to. Now, I'm not an elder, but I am a husband, and I know what it's like to feel compelled to do something. And I'm sure as a spouse, you've probably felt compelled to do a lot of things. I mean, just yesterday, will you please help me put on the sheets on the bed? If I have to. <laughs> I, 
And, and that happens in our house a lot. And sometimes it's just a matter of, of me feeling compelled to do it rather than do I want to do it. And that's, that's the, the contrast that he makes here. Not under compulsion, but willingly. An elder should want to willingly fill that role and willingly watch over the flock that they're a part of. And that, hopefully, is the way that our elders operate, and I think it is. I hope none of them ever feel like they have to do this. I, I hope that they feel like this is what they want to do. And we play a part in that as well, as we'll talk about in a little bit with our listening and the way that we submit ourselves to them and, and how we make their job easier. But as an elder, as a shepherd, as an overseer, you do it because you want to, not because you have to. And then he goes on and he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain. I've, I honestly thought about this. I don't know that I've ever... In my personal experience with elders, I don't know that I've ever met an elder who served in that capacity because they shamefully wanted gain. I think every elder, including the six we have now, have given up a lot to serve in that role. And being the son of an elder, being the nephew of an elder, being kind of closely related to some of the elders and seeing things behind the scenes, I don't know all of what they do but it's a lot. It takes a lot. And they give a lot. And you know people in relationships around you who take more than they give. You know people like that. You know people who are just really looking to, to leverage the relationship they have with you so that they can take more from you than what they offer to the relationship. They're looking for what they can get out of it rather than what they can give to it. And an elder is not called to serve in this capacity so that they can get something out of it for themselves. They're called to serve so that they can give. And I think that's what we see here with the men that we have overseeing us and shepherding us. They're givers. And, and they're not in it for gain. They're not in it for shameful gain. They're looking to find out how they can serve. And that is what they're called to do, as Peter talks about. And then he goes on. He says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I think it's a real tendency in any organization when you say you are the leader for somebody in that role to feel like the buck stops here. What I say goes. You'll listen to me or you can get out. That's not how our elders operate. That's not how elders of the Lord's church should ever operate. They're not domineering. They're not cracking the whip. They are watchful. And they are concerned. And they are very, very interested in our spiritual well-being. And yes, at the end of the day, what they say goes, as we'll talk about. But they're listening. They're interested. They're connected. As the good shepherd was, by the way, what did Jesus say? My sheep know my voice. And I know that them. I know them by name, and they know me. There's an intimacy there. There's a relationship there that the good shepherd has with his sheep. There's an intimacy and a relationship there, a listening, a two-way communication that the elders take very seriously. They're not domineering. What are they, though? They're examples to the flock. 
they're leading us by example. They're showing us the road. They're showing us the, the safe path to take. And they're going ahead of us so that we can watch them and we can follow them. And that is so important right now in a time full of uncertainty, full of difficult choices. You know, they've had to make choices over these last few months that they've never had to make before, including for a while telling us to stay home. Knowing these six men the way that I do and, and probably the way that you do, I know that was an incredibly difficult choice. Not one of them would ever say, oh yeah, that was an easy choice to make, just stay home. <laughs> if you know them, you know that they agonized over that. But they chose to do that because it was the right thing to do at the time and because they cared about us. And so we have these men in these positions as elders to oversee us and to watch over us as examples. And in verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There is a benefit in leadership. When the chief shepherd comes, that unfading crown of glory will be theirs for their work. So there's a benefit there for them and for their service. In your job, have you ever known uh, an employee who was kind of a, a ne'er-do-well, kind of a cantankerous, you know, didn't really do their job all that well? You ever known somebody like that? And in your mind, you're thinking, that person just needs to get let go. He's not benefiting the company. He's not doing his job. Have you ever seen that person actually get promoted instead of let go? Does that ever happen? Oh, yeah. I've seen that. And then that person gets promoted. And the next level in the organization in which he's in, they say, you know what? I don't really like that person. I don't want to work with them. And he gets promoted again. And eventually, his abrasiveness, his, his harshness, the way that he treats other people and, and treats his job, eventually he's over the whole project. <laughs> and you're like, how did that happen? How did this person get promoted all the way up to the top of the company? I want you to understand that is not how we put elders in place in the church. We go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We go to Titus chapter 1. We look at qualifications like these here in 1 Peter 5, and we find men who are qualified, who are willing, who do this job seriously, who care about us, who love us, and who are of the top quality. And we ask them if they're willing to watch over us. Those are the kinds of men that we have here at Monta Vista. And really the question is, while we have six men who are here serving as elders, who are leading us in such an important way, are we looking for more? I'm not saying we need to replace the six elders that we have, that, that they need to go anywhere. But what I am saying is if we just rest on our laurels and stop where we are, then at some point we are going to be in trouble if we are not looking for men who fit this category, if we're not looking for men who can oversee us. Because like I said, there was a time not too long ago in our, in our history as a congregation where we were very, very close to not having elders. Are we looking for men who fit the qualifications and who are willing to serve? And if we find those men, if we find those kinds of people to lead us, then we need to let them lead. And we need to let them serve in this way because the church needs this kind of leadership. 
The church needs overseers. And really, maybe a more personal question for you. Maybe you're not qualified yet to be an elder. Are you thinking about it? Are you thinking about what it would take for you to step into that role and lead the church? Are you putting yourself in a position with your character, with your conduct, with the way that you live your life, to to one day be able to serve in that role because the church needs you. This church needs you and your leadership. 20, 30 years down the road, our current six elders are not spring chickens. Eventually, someday, we're going to need you. We're going to need you to step up. And so, while we have something good and important and very helpful for us as a congregation now, let's always be looking to the future. What's going to happen to us 10, 20, 30 years down the road? Are we still going to have qualified men who can lead us during difficult times in this world? Just a couple questions for us in talking about leadership. And again, if you haven't thanked an elder in a while, 2020 is a really good year to do it. So let's continue on. And the next verse is really just only one verse, and we're going to talk about listening. They say it takes two to tango. I won't get into the details of what that means, but on the other side of it, we need listening. In verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Again, just one verse, but I think it's really powerful. Because on one hand, you have leaders, you have elders who oversee us and watch over us, but you have to have those of us willing to listen at the same time. You can't have an effective leadership without without the members listening. Think about a flock. Think about a shepherd. What would happen if the shepherd said, look, there's food over there and there's danger that way, and instead of going to follow the shepherd, all the sheep just decided, you know, I think I know better. I'm going to go find the danger, or I'm going to get too close to the cliff, or whatever. That's what happens so often in the church. That's what happens with Christians a lot of times. Because I, And I hope I'm not revealing anything uh, uh, untoward or anything, but, but you have very strong opinions. I have very strong opinions. We all have opinions about how things should go, don't we? I mean, if left to your own devices and I just gave you full run of everything, I think after a while, you'd probably know how you'd want to handle things, how we should do things, what time services should start, what's the order of everything, you know, will we wear masks or won't we, will we, will we have, you know, Wednesday evenings canceled or not, you know, you would probably have a very strong opinion about some things. And, and that's fine, that's good. It's important that we all have opinions about things and that we all have a, a way that we think things should go. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with the elders. Not that they're lording it over us, but what they say goes. You who are younger, submit or subject yourself to the elders. And I think that's just not just referring to the young people. I think that's referring to everybody. You cannot have a leadership in a congregation without people to listen and people to follow. And we have to let them lead. We have to allow them to lead us. If you could install a a steering wheel 
and a gas and brake pedal in the passenger seat of the car, would you do it? Has anyone ever called you a backseat driver? Hi, I'm Brian. <laughs> I'm a backseat driver. You can ask Sherilyn. Uh, if I'm in the passenger seat, I may as well be driving. And that's a problem when it comes to the church. Because we need to let go of the wheel. We need to let go of control and give it over to the ones who we've asked to watch over us. That's important. Especially during difficult times. Especially when they're having to make really gut-wrenching decisions about what to do. Let them lead. Don't get on social media. I'm so tired of this. I, I, I really, I don't, I don't want to speak too strongly about this, but I am so tired of watching Christians just bash the elders for their decisions on social media. We can talk more about that later, personally, one-on-one, -on -one if, if you'd like, but there's no place for that. It doesn't set a good example to the world. It doesn't help the elders. It doesn't help bring unity. It doesn't show love, and it is not subjection. We need to be real careful with the way that we let our opinions be made known, and at the end of the day, we just need to submit. We need to listen. Because these decisions are difficult, not only during the pandemic, not only during all the things that are going on, but just day-to-day -day kinds of things. When they decide to do something, yes, they're listening to us. Yes, there is still that two-way communication. They still are concerned about us. They're still looking to help us grow spiritually. That's what they're doing. And we can still talk to them. You can meet with the elders anytime you want. Anytime you want. And talk to them about what's going on. But again, at the end of the day, we still need to listen. And here's the thing. I'm not an elder. I'm not qualified to be an elder. There's no chance in the near future that I'm going to be an elder. But here's one thing that I am. I'm a parent. And as a parent, spoiler alert, I'm not a perfect parent. <laughs> if you want to know how imperfect I am as a parent, there she is. Just go talk to Ashlyn. She will tell you all about how dad's an imperfect parent because they see, right? She lives with me and she knows. But I'm an imperfect parent. And let's have a little bit of grace and understand that our elders, spoiler alert, are imperfect men. They don't always make the right decisions. They don't always do the things that they, that they want to do or that they should do. They make mistakes too. I know that's kind of shocking, right? <laughs> to think about our elders as being humans, but really they are. And we need to have grace, and we need to be understanding with them, and we need to understand that, by the way, if my daughter, I told her to do something, and I directed her to do something, and she brought up to me, well, Dad, you know, here's a list of all the 10 mistakes you've made today. I don't have to listen to you. But that's the way sometimes believers will treat the decisions of the elders, and they'll say, well, You've made these mistakes. You've done all these things, so I don't have to listen to you. False. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. They're still the leaders. Now, as we look to the chief shepherd, who is sinless, obviously Jesus never makes mistakes. But our elders, from time to time, do, because they're human. And so let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, and, and not listen to them, because they're fallible, just like any one of us.
if we're on the same page, if we're tracking here, I guess the question is, are you willing to listen to the elders? Do you do everything that you can to make their job easy, to support them in their work, and, and really to, to promote that kind of listening to other people? When you start to hear other people question the elders, when you start to hear other people question the decisions that are being made, do you, do you stop them in their tracks and say, listen, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says that we need to subject ourselves to the elders, and that's what I'm going to do. Take that seriously, especially as we go forward into an uncertain future. Who knows what 2021 is going to be like? I mean, 2020 was bad enough. Who knows what 2021 is going to be? We need to be good listeners if we want to keep our congregations healthy and secure. So let's get into the last point here just really briefly. So he touched on it just at the end of verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you. Now he broadens it out. He's not just talking to elders, he's not just talking to the rest of the congregation. Now to everyone, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the point that he closes this all out with is humility. What does the church need in order to survive during difficult times of suffering in the world? It's humility. We all need humility. We all need to lower ourselves and be lowly in this world. God opposes the proud. I don't want God to oppose me. I don't want God to, to look at me and be against me. And if I'm proud, if I'm puffed up, if I need to have my way, God is opposed to that. He doesn't want me to live with that kind of attitude. He wants me to clothe myself with humility toward one another and humble myself before him. I might think I know what we need. I might think, in my opinions, I might think I, I know what the future should look like. But I am humbled before God, especially this year. I don't know anything. You don't know anything. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. He's in charge. He is in control. And I am humble and lowly before him. And as I'm humble and lowly before my God, I'm humble and lowly to serve other people. And that's what the church needs. Humility. He says in verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Do you have anxieties this year? Yeah, lots of anxieties. You know, who, you know who cares? God cares. Cast them on him. Pray to him. Let him know about all the things that, that worry you, that concern you, that bother you. Let him know. He cares for you. And keep yourself alert as he says in verse 8, to this roaring lion who's prowling around looking to devour. 
And we've seen the devil devour plenty of people who've lost their faith, whose faith have become shipwrecked during this time because they weren't watching out. And now you can start to understand why leaders in the church are so important. To have somebody who's watching out for you because you're not alone. It's not just you against the world. It's not just you against the devil. It's, it's our overseers and shepherds who also watch out for us, who are aware of the devil's schemes and, and all together, humbly, serving each other, can resist him, firm in our faith. And if you've ever had victim mentality, like, woe is me, I am the only one experiencing whatever it is, fill in the blank, kind of like Elijah in the cave, I, I, I'm all alone. What did God say? Get up, find a buddy, and get back to work. Because you're not alone. And that's what Peter reminds us here of. He says, the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. If there's one thing that we can all unite in in the world, in our faith and in the brotherhood, it's the fact that we're all suffering in very similar ways right now. We're all going through difficulty together. Monta Vista is not alone in this. You are not alone in this. We are in this together. And whether or not we're talking about the pandemic or just the day-to-day -day temptations of the devil, you're not alone. And so, after you've suffered a little while, in verse 10, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You know, sometimes we want to be treated well on this earth. Sometimes we want to be happy. Sometimes we, we demand respect and we demand our rights and, and we demand peace and happiness here. But what happens if that never happens? What happens if we never have peace? What happens if this pandemic never goes away? What do we have to look forward to? Restoration, confirmation, strength, and establishment. That's what we have to look forward to in eternity. And in eternity, we're going to look back at all of this life, and it's just going to feel like a blip. This little while that we have suffered, he talks about here. And you know what this is like. I don't know. I've obviously never had a baby, okay? But for those who have had babies, and for, for those of us who have maybe gone to the ER once or twice in our life, these seem like really significant experiences, life-changing, life-altering experiences in an ambulance, being rushed to the ER or, or going through you know, the last stages of a pregnancy. And you look back on that years later, and it feels like just a blip. At the moment, it seemed really serious. At the moment, it just seemed like totally consuming. But you look back on it in hindsight, and you just say, look, a little blip on the radar. And, and it doesn't feel like that, but what Peter is trying to remind us here is, look, once we get down into that eternal home, once we settle down on the other side of eternity in heaven, and God brings us into his glory, all the stuff we face on this earth, all the suffering, all the difficulty, all the drama, all the division, all the rejection, everything, all the bad stuff in life is going to feel like just a blip when we're faced with an eternity of happiness with the Lord. So be humble. Lower yourself. And lower yourself to serve your brothers 
and ultimately to serve the Lord God as his priests in this world. That's 1 Peter 5, and really a good summary, I think, of, of the entire book of 1 Peter. So take out your songbooks and turn to the number that's been announced. I hope these things have been helpful for you. If you want a really good object lesson of this, of this lesson here, of this last chapter, think about Jesus in those final moments before the garden, before he was led away. What did he do with his disciples in the upper room? He got down on his knee, he put a towel around himself, and he washed his disciples' feet. He was the leader. He was the chief shepherd, the master. But what is he doing? He's serving his people. He's humbly serving them. He's washing their feet. And you know what's interesting? You get to Peter, and Peter's like, no, no, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. He was not a very good listener. He was not submitting himself to the will of Jesus. Finally, Jesus said, okay, if you won't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me in the kingdom. And so Peter changes his tune and says, all right, then wash everything. And Jesus says, you know, no, all I need to do is wash your feet. Jesus shows the perfect example of leadership. And we see in that story, we see a great example of listening and submitting ourselves to the leadership of this group. And then we find that it's all about humility. It's not about pridefully puffing up ourselves and asserting our, our will. Really, our life is about service. And so, if those things are helpful for you in some way, then I, I pray that we as a congregation here at Monta Vista can continue to rise up and be strong in this world, no matter what, fa what we face in the future, because we have leadership because we're willing to listen to that leadership, and we're all humbly serving each other and our God. If there's somebody here this morning who needs to respond to the gospel call, who needs to give their life to the Lord in baptism, or if you need help from this group in some way, please come forward as we stand and sing.